we are doing what we love to do, which is managing livestock and leaving the land better than we found it. Good morning and happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome, welcome. If you're new here, I'm your host, Harley, and whether you are new or returning, I'm so happy you're here to listen. Today's guest is Lydia Kyle, known as Ranch Wife Life on social media. If you've been following along, you know I'm releasing a day late and actually releasing two episodes this week, one today and one tomorrow, so that I could chat with Lydia about her experiences with the Calf Canyon um, and Hermit's Creek fires in New Mexico. There is a Facebook group as well as a nonprofit linked in the show notes. Tomorrow you will hear more about both from both Lydia as well as um, Jennifer, who was nice enough to reach out to me yesterday on social media to provide a quick interview with some additional resources for people who may have questions. This interview does follow my normal format today, so we are getting to know Lydia, how she wound up managing a ranch in New Mexico all the way from Oregon. I hope you enjoy, stay safe, and tune in tomorrow for more information. Hi guys, my name is Lydia Kyle. I am a fourth generation cattle rancher and agriculturist who is currently living in northern New Mexico, which has gone up in flames in the past month. I am originally from southern Oregon. My family has done cattle ranching in both uh, Northern California, Southern Oregon, my entire life, I chose to go to college in Texas. And there were a lot of people who thought I would never come back to agriculture or ranching. But I met my husband, who is a ranch manager by trade and education. We decided we were tired of the current grind that we were on. And we moved back to the family ranch in 2015. We were there for three years, and then we decided to take a job in New Mexico managing a ranch outside the city of Las Vegas, New Mexico. Not Nevada, New Mexico. We are the original Las Vegas, and we like to call ourselves Little Vegas. So we've been there for three and a half years now. We have three small children. Um, we manage the ranch as if it was our own and that makes what's happening even harder to swallow. Yeah. So let's, we'll get into all of what's going on, but let's back up for a second. So you said you're originally from Southern Oregon and that your family's been in, you know, Southern Oregon, Northern California. Um, what areas I'm actually originally from Northeastern California. And I wonder if any of it's like names I would recognize. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. So, um, my, so let's, we'll, we'll take it all the way back. Um, my grandparents operation, which is the larger of the operations was in Modoc County, California. So, uh, right outside Alturas in a tiny little community called likely. However, uh, my parents have a very entrepreneurial spirit and they went, uh, out and started their own businesses. And we established our family in Lakeview, Oregon, which is right across the California border. Um, so the, the distance between those two places is like 60 miles, just different States. Uh, my parents, owned and operated not only a custom grazing stalker operation um, that was organic, certified, all natural, the whole shebang. Uh, They also owned and operated the only custom processing plant 
within the county and within a 400 mile radius of the area, which meant, or 200 miles, I'm sorry, 200 miles. I have 400 miles on my brain, but we can get into that later. Um, 200 mile radius um, of of that area. And so they had the custom uh, slaughter, custom butchering, and then also a very, very cute, very unique wine and cheese and custom meat shop in the front. And so I think that's where I get my entrepreneurial and creative um, drive from is because they kind of broke the mold when it came to what our family did and obviously kept the Western heritage and the cattle ranching and the raising of our beef in their blood. However, they branched off and they did it their way. Um, but that's where I'm from is kind of both sides of the that coin. Okay. So I actually, so I grew up in Plumas County in California, which you probably know right where that is. Um, I used to bank with Plumas Bank. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was so excited when I was in college, Plumas Bank opened the branch in Reno, which is where I went to college. Yeah. And I was so excited. But and that was one um, of the hardest things for me when we moved is because I loved our bank. I loved Plumas yeah. because they knew me and it just made my life so much easier. And then when we moved to the Southwest, it's like, I know nothing here. <laughs> yeah. We kept our bank from when we lived in Reno. We use us bank, which is what we, I used when I was in high school too. Um, we use us bank, but there's none inside the state of Texas, which is obnoxious. Good old Texas. <laughs> um, but so I'm like pretty familiar with that area. I've driven through, um, Alturas a number of times. Yeah. Like a backyard. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. No. And, and we, we loved it there. We just needed, you know, there were some things that happened with, and, and again, this is another story for another time, but, you know, estate planning and generational transitions are very hard for pretty much every family, whether you're in agriculture or you're in real estate, it's hard. And, you know, some things went kind of sideways, upside down and backwards. And we were the youngest and, um, just kind of felt like, you know what, we don't really want to see how this uh, pans out. And so we started looking for other opportunities. And I'm I'm still really glad that we did. You know, sometimes I miss quote unquote home, but, you know, me and my husband going out and kind of making our own stand of things has been pretty monumental for us in establishing ourselves and establishing our family. Well, I was actually talking the other day to a friend of mine and I was like, you know, moving halfway across the country from my family is the best thing I've ever done for my relationships with my family. Like that physical space provided a lot of much needed like space. I don't know how else to, yeah. <laughs> to phrase it. Yep, it's absolutely. like, I don't want to say it forces you to like put on your big girl pants, but like when you don't just have mom an hour away or right up the road or whatever. Yep. It, ch it changes your, um, who you're dependent on and how you do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So you said you kind of went away to college and you didn't think you would come back to ag and yet here you are. So what did you go to college for? So I went to Texas Christian university, which my family is in the least bougie way possible legacy at the university. Um, my dad, my uncle, my cousins, 
Um, and my husband actually, um, he wasn't my husband at the time, but my husband went through the TCU ranch management program, which I can't say enough about that program. If you want to get your foot in the door, as far as ranch management, um, that's where you need to go. Whether you have no experience or whether you're seventh generation, that's the best certificate, one year certificate program that is essentially the equivalent of a master's degree that you can do for your education as far as agriculture. Whether you have a bachelor's or whether you don't, it doesn't matter. But I was the black sheep of the family. And instead of going to the ranch management program, I went for a full four-year undergrad. And to be even more of a black sheep in the family, TCU is actually a liberal arts college. So even though they have the ranch management program, which is completely its own entity in general, TCU is known for their business program and then also known for their liberal arts college. Um, so I majored in anthropology and writing. I was a double major. I also had a minor in social work. Um, the only reason why I didn't get a major in social work was simply because it was in the College of Science, which would mean I would have to take all of the science classes. So we just went with the minor. So we didn't have to fool around with that nonsense. Um, but I focused heavily on anthropology with a focus in sustainable agriculture and historical agricultural practices, which is essentially just a fancy way of saying, how did they do it before modern technology? And how has modern technology changed us culturally as, as farmers and ranchers? Very just, it's just a fancy way of saying that. Um, and then writing. And I, I combine those things in a lot of ways in my day-to-day -day life still, um, even now. Well, I know something that I noticed um, about you is that you're seem to be really, well, first of all, really knowledgeable, which that part isn't um, surprising, but you seem to be really, really well-spoken, which also I think comes with that like writing component because a big part of writing is being able to like very clearly um, articulate like your thoughts and opinions. Yeah. And I did a lot of, um, so I didn't major in journalism, but I kind of stumbled into freelance journalism. Um, after Kenneth and I got married, I went full time to, uh, be on the ranch and was just ranch wife in it. And, uh, didn't, I, I mean, I don't want to say like, I wasn't, I just, I wasn't busy enough. I'm just a busy person. Like that's how I was raised. I was raised by people had, who had 14 irons in the fire and they were burning six candles at both ends. Like that's just how I was raised. So, you know, even though I was doing good stuff on the ranch and, and cooking every day for the crew and like, you know, doing that, doing that, I wasn't busy enough. And so I stumbled into, uh, just in a roundabout way, doing some freelance journalism. And so I was doing pieces for Range Magazine. I, I was working regularly with Stockman Grass Farmer. Um, I was working with the Cattle Mag, Tri-State Livestock News, and I was just picking up articles here and there. And so while I didn't focus in journalism, that really helped me hone the craft of communication. Because when you are writing, especially an agriculture piece for an agricultural publication there's no you, you can't pull the wool over the sheep is sheep's eyes you know you can't you can't fool anyone like you got to have your facts straight you got to be able to communicate the facts concisely so you don't waste anybody time anybody's time but also 
you need to be able to engage an audience. So yeah, I think, you know, that writing degree, but then also that work as a freelance journalist really helped me hone the craft of, of communication, which has turned into this social media weirdness that I love so much. It's always nice to like, I love hearing about people's um, backgrounds and how like this specific skill set that they have has been like, what's helped them grow. And for you, that's your ability to like communicate really well. Well, and I think that's a great, so like you, just you saying that I think is important because a lot of times I feel like I was just having this conversation with my mom just a minute ago. They, they moved to Texas. Um, and so they're here in Fort Worth. My dad has some work stuff and and I have work stuff and it just crossed over. Um, but we were just kind of having a conversation around and what I was thinking in my, in the back of my mind while we're having this conversation is, you know, since my social media platforms have grown so much, the visibility that I have can be invigorating, but also incredibly intimidating because people don't know me. They only know what they see. And while sometimes that can be fine, you know, like that can be a good thing. Cause like, you don't want everybody to know everything about you. Right. But then at the same time, they don't know your intention if you're not properly communicating that intention. So knowing someone's background is something that I think a lot of times in social media culture that we miss. Yeah. Well, when I decided to pivot the show towards like, that's why I do like these longer form interviews and then like split them in half is because I realized I was like, okay, when I first started, I was doing like talking about people's businesses. And I was like, mm-hmm. we'll do a little bit of like, get to know you. And then we'll talk about your business. Like I want to help your business sell through my podcast. I thought that's what I was doing. And then I did a couple of interviews with people who are, have bigger social media presences and are focused on educating. And I was like, this is it. This is what I want to be doing. And, um, then I realized I was like, okay, well, how can I communicate? Because like, like you mentioned earlier, um, you can't like just pull facts out of nowhere and pull the wool over people's eyes. So people want to know that they're being educated by people who know what they're talking about. They don't want it to be like right. so-and-so the fake farmer from Instagram. They want it to be like Lydia, who's a fourth generation rancher. Right. So that's part of, that's like the best part of these interviews is getting to hear about everyone's background and like learning about other people. And Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I bet. I bet. How did you meet your husband? Cause obviously like your relationship with him kind of is what led you to the path you're on now. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so he'll tell the story differently, but my version is true. So let's just get that <laughs> out of the way right now. Um, it, <sighs> It's actually really comical. So it's like this uh, mix of like comedy and like just God's will. So when I was a freshman in college at TCU, Kenneth was in the ranch management program and he had already done undergrad. He already had an associate's degree. Um, He already had his undergraduate degree and um, he had gone to the ranch management program. So I was, you know, 18 years old, barely out of high school and he was 24, 24. Yeah. 24. Um, and so totally serendipitously, um, we had like met in passing and then him and I 
ended up being stuck on campus at the same time. I think it was like fall break, right? So like everybody had gone home. There were very few people left on campus, but I was from the West Coast and he was from South Carolina and we didn't go home. And so he reached out to me and was like, hey, do you want to go to a movie? And I was like, well, yeah, I'll go to a movie with you. And then the whole like stranger danger you know, like alarms started going off. Uh And I was like, wait a second. Like, I don't know this guy very well. And he wants to like, take me in his truck to a movie theater across town. Like none of my roommates are here. So there was this other girl who I was, I was kind of friends with who was still in my dorm. And I was like, Hey, do you want to go to a movie? And she's (laughs) like, yeah. And so I third wheeled what was supposed to be our first date. And so Kenneth was like so weirded out that I brought a third wheel uh, to our first date. He took me to the movies with uh, Kate and uh, dropped us off and then ghosted me. (laughs) And then um, there's, there's more ups and downs to this story, but the, and and this is where Kenneth likes to get all all hot and bothered over it is because he says that he tried to reach out to me the next year, but I had a boyfriend. So then, you know, I, I blew it. Um, but just by some weird twist of fate, uh, after college, I decided to do Teach for America, uh, which again, another story for another time, do not recommend. Um, but I did it because I didn't want to go get a master's and I didn't know what to do with my life. And I got sent to South Carolina of all places. And my dad, who had met Kenneth at an alumni thing for TCU Ranch Management, was like, well, if you're going to be moving halfway across the country, you need to get in touch with that Kenneth Kyle guy because like he was in ranch management, which makes him this upstanding individual. And like, you're going to need help like moving in. And I was like, I mean, okay. And uh, so I reached out to Kenneth. I was like, hey, like, just I'm moving to South Carolina and like, I don't know anyone there. Can you like help me like unload my U-Haul and stuff? And uh, he so he's like, yeah, I can help you. And he then called his roommate from TCU and was like, hey, Lydia McGarva is moving to South Carolina. I'm not going to mess it up this time. And we were married 10 months later. Oh, wow. That was cool. Uh, no, I don't want to be like, that was quick. Obviously it's it was quick. Well it was real quick. It was a real quick. <laughs> um, well I had, so Josiah and I had known each other like on and off for a number of years. And then I just, without ever having met him in person though, I decided I was flying to Montana to spend my spring break with him. I love those kind of stories. <laughs> it worked out. Okay. But I remember like, I, we had a mutual friend. Yeah. We had a mutual friend who had kind of did. And I went to her and I was like, Hey, is he going to kill me through my body? And the woods? she's like, uh, probably not. And I was like, cool. I'm going on the plane. And that's when you're like halfway through the, the flight, you're like, start to get the cold sweats. And you're like, was this a bad idea? <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. I didn't tell my parents till I was already there. That just makes it better. <laughs> And my mom was like, okay, cool, have fun. My dad was like, okay, cool, have fun. My stepmom was like, you did what? I love it. I love it. I'm glad it worked out okay. Yeah, my body did not find up in the woods in Montana, so. One of my favorite things on TikTok right now is, have you seen the, have you seen the guy that does the dating in Montana? 
Oh my gosh, you have to search it on TikTok. It is so hilarious. This guy just goes on Tinder and he like blacks the girls' names out and like kind of covers their photos, but he essentially just like rates their Tinder bios. And like, let me tell you, girls from Montana, they are a different breed. Like, it's just like my favorite thing right now on TikTok. So one of my friends who's single, she, her and Josiah and I have a group message and she used to put in like, I don't know if she was like on farmers only or something. It was like TikTok, but for farm farmers, right. Or not TikTok. It was like Tinder, but for farmers. And I cannot tell you how many seed related jokes there were on there. Oh my gosh. It was so good. Every day we'd get like five screenshots. She'd be like, he wants to know if I can, like, it was, it was like, he wants to know if, oh if I'm the receptacle to grow his seeds or some shit like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know the the internet, the internet dating scene is such a cesspool. I feel like it always has been, but now it's just like amplified. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like it always has been. And like coming from a girl with like on plenty of Tinder dates, but like, I could never know. My boss is the same age as I am. And she recently like started dating and she was just like, don't. she was like, no. <laughs> I know when I hear like all the stuff that goes on and on, I, I don't know. What do you call that? Social media dating? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, thank God I'm married with three kids. Like I just, I can't, I can't even, I don't have the mental capacity nor the patience to, to deal with that kind of nonsense. Neither. You guys um, manage ranches for other people who are the property owners can you for people who are not familiar with why someone would need that or what that like kind of looks like can you explain that yeah so and and I will say this for us it just makes the most sense and it pencils really well um you know it's it's not for everyone there are a lot of people in the agriculture industry that are, they are not willing to work for other people. They want to do it on their own. They want their own place. They want their own livestock, all of those things. And, you know, we've done, we've done both sides of that. We've, we've owned our own operations. We've owned our own livestock. We've done that. And we've also managed for other people. And for us, managing for other people, just pencils, just works good for our family. Um, so essentially what we do is well let's break this down a little bit more a lot of ranches and private land is now they are now owned by either wealthy families who have no connection to them or generational families that are no longer actively involved in them or just flat out corporations. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, it could be one of multiple things in our scenario, the owner of the ranch, uh, he's owned it for several decades. He loves it. He it's his favorite place in the whole world. He loves the Western lifestyle. He loves all of those things. However, his main source of income is not agriculture. So he is off doing his business elsewhere. He needs us to manage the ranch entity in a way that is beneficial to his land, 
and not draining his pocketbooks. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. So in reality, the way that that breaks down for us, we run it like we own it. We don't spend money on things unnecessarily. We don't buy genetics just to buy genetics. When it comes to the cattle, we do our research. We graze the way that we would graze it if it was ours. We're not depleting the resources. You know, we're we're keeping up the fences. We're doing all of those things as if it was ours. But at the end of the day, we are salaried employees with lots of different benefits like housing you know, beef, we have elk on the ranch, so wild game, um, all of those things kind of factored factored into our quote-unquote compensation package, um, and yet we are doing what we love to do, which is managing livestock and leaving the land better than we found it. And is the ranch you guys manage, is it primarily like a live a livestock ranch, or like, is it livestock and hunting is it primarily hunting? it's a little bit of ev- it's a little bit of everything um and just out of respect for the owner um because it's not mine um i'm paid to live there and i'm paid to manage it um i don't go into a lot of detail just on the particulars of the ranch but the ranch is very diversified however we do not do any commercial hunting we do not do any commercial uh what's the word um like guest services um so there's no dude ranch uh income and there's no hunting income it's it is 100% private okay um i would that was mostly just because i was curious i know i mentioned before that my in this is what my in-laws do and they currently yeah. manage um it's hunting and there's like a hundred cows maybe, but it's like primarily hunting. And then, um, yep. And it's different, you know, you'll hear of places that, you know, they, they are strictly, um, production agriculture. Like there's, I mean, there's no recreational aspect to it at all. And, and that's a, you know, they need managers too. So, so it's not like a one size fits all title. Um, you know, it cracks me up in this industry where people who manage dude ranches, like get, like a bad rap for managing dude ranches. But at the end of the day, like that's probably the hardest jobs because not only do you have this agricultural entity, you also have to deal with customer service. Yeah, you've got all the customer service yes. BS. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, they're just like giant hotels with horses and, and all of these things. So it's like ranch management is not a one-size-fits-all thing the bottom line of it is you need to know how to manage your money. You need to know how to manage your resources, whatever they are, whatever the resources, whether it's timber, whether it's cattle, whether it's sheep, whether it's guest services, what there's a lot of places that have natural minerals and, and those types of things on, on the property that they're having to be responsible for. So at the, the bottom line regardless of where you are or who you're managing for or how big the operation is, you have to be able to run that outfit as if it was your money on the line. And that's what makes a good ranch manager. Yeah. I remember. So I didn't come like from life, but like my fiance was like raised on ranches of different kinds, like 
hunting ranches. They did horse, they had they did some horses. They've done some with cattle. They've done like a little bit of like literally any kind of ranch. Mm-hmm. They exist, they've done. Um, so I remember when we moved to Texas and he was working as a ranch manager, I was just like, this is not what I thought it was at all. This is like so right. different. <laughs> right. And it is very different. And I, I don't think it's one of those things that you can just, um, you can't float between all of these different management positions and expect one guy to be able to fill all of those shoes. You know, there's, there's a very set type of person that can go and manage a, you know, 5,000 acre dude ranch in Colorado. Like that's not the same guy that can manage, you know, 600,000 acres in New Mexico and has five different camps that he needs to handle and still make a profit every year. Like that, those are, those are two very different people. They're not the same person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing that you mentioned that I think some people might have a hard time with the concept is like, it's someone else's land, but you're taking care of it and managing it like it's yours. So can you talk a little bit more about like what that means as far as like decision-making, obviously you're not like dumping money down the drain, but at the end of the day, like that person could show up tomorrow and be like, okay, well you can go. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just based on loyalty and integrity. I mean, you, we've all met people in our lives who just don't do a good job regardless of what it is. Right. Like we, we all know those people, they're going to half-ass it. They're not going to put their best foot forward. There's not a whole lot of loyalty. Like those aren't managers, like, right. They're, they're, uh, they're workers. They're, they're, it's a different type of person. So when it comes to being a ranch manager, in some ways you have to be able to put your side, your pride aside that you don't own it. It's not about who owns it. You know, at the end of the day, Kenneth and I are the only ones on that property 90% of the time. So if someone shows up and wants to enjoy the property three times out of the year, absolutely. Why would, why would I care? But the other 90% of the time, that's my home. I want my home to be beautiful. I want my home to be useful. I want my home to be, what's the word that I'm looking at? Sustainable. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to run down my home. I don't want to, I don't want to live somewhere that I'm not proud of what's happening there. So I think that's kind of, that's one of the biggest defining features, personality traits of people who make good managers. And I just, it's my husband to a T he takes pride in his work, no matter what the work is, he's going to do it right. And he's going to do it right. Even if it means it takes a little bit longer to do it the right way. And that's when, yeah, I mean, someone could come in if you were managing a property and say, okay, see you later. We hired our nephew. Like, sure. That could happen. However, if you're doing a dang good job, there's not there's not as much of a risk in that. I don't know. It's, it's tough because if, if you look at it from that lens, I think it just kind of perverts your ability to just pour your heart and your soul into something that you're passionate about. 
if you're looking at it from the cynical view of like, well, I could be fired tomorrow. Like, well, I mean, that could happen to anybody. That, that could happen to anybody. Even if you were running your own outfit, you could get a call from the bank that says like, hey, by the way, you're filing for bankruptcy tomorrow. You know, it's kind of the same thing uh, in its own in its own right. So I don't know. I just choose not to look at it through a cynical lens. We pour our hearts and our souls in it and we're proud of it and we're proud to call it home. And again, that's part of what makes what's happening right now so hard to watch is because it wasn't just some ranch that, you know, burned. It was my home and it's never going to look the same. Whether I live there for five years or 20 years or 50 years, it's never going to look the same. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.